right, let's go to First Thessalonians chapter 5 this evening. Uh, the teaching part will, should not be longer than 15 or 20 minutes. We'll give you a chance to ask some questions um, to afterwards if you'd like. If not, we'll just go into praises and we'll be done for the night. Um, so I, I, uh, I have, I've always been a big fan of the First and Second Thessalonians. I think they're amazing. I, I always think it's, when I first got saved, I always felt like that if a, if a certain church or a person or a place got a, two epistles, they must have been pretty bad people. You know, and that's that kind of is the case with First Corinthians. The First Corinth, the Church of Corinth was a mess, and then you have First and Second Thessalonians, and you have First and Second Timothy. Titus only got one epistle, so Titus must have been the man. Timothy must have had issues, but that's not necessarily the case. We all know that, and I'm being funny there and expected laughter, but you know, y'all laugh at rehearsed jokes, but not mine. That's okay. I, I I'm not going to get bitter about that. But anyway, Brother Fouch did provide us some good laughter this evening. I appreciate Brother Fouch so much. But the church at Thessalonica is a it, it's a unique church. And this is one of the reasons we're going to be looking into it a lot. Is of all the, well, think about it. There's only eight chapters, five in First Thessalonians and then three in Second Thessalonians. And in those eight chapters, they probably have the most content that talks about the end times or the rapture. In fact, we base our rapture doctrine off First Thessalonians chapter 4. That's the backbone of it. Now, where, what is Thessalonians? What is Thessalonica? What is it? Where does it, what does it entail? Where does it start and all that? Let's go ahead and read a few verses here. And I'm going to read some things to you to give you some historical background on Thessalonica, how it started. <clears throat> For those of you who don't know, Alexander the Great uh, did his massive campaign and his conquest prior to the birth of Jesus Christ. And so he had a, a, a very strong impact on that whole region, especially Greece, of course, Alexander the Great. And uh, he died young. We all, many of you are familiar with the story of Alexander the Great. And when you study the, the, New, the New Testament, you study the epistles, and you study the life of Paul, you'll see that Paul dealt a lot with him. We say, we say a lot of times Jew and Gentile, right? We know that Gentile typically means a non-Jew, right? Or really it does mean non-Jew. But then you sometimes will see Jew and Greek, and that's more specifically. There was a lot of Greeks in that area. There was a lot of Greeks in the whole region because Greece had expanded its empire, very strong uh, empire there at the time. Let's begin reading in verse 1. Notice it says, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, under the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I love how one verse in, you see God our Father, God and Father in there twice, and Lord Jesus Christ in there twice. I love that. It's just amazing. We give thanks to God always for you all, verse 2, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, Patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. Wow, what a three-point outline right there. We're going to talk about that in a second. Look, let's, let's look at that again. Work of faith, <coughs> labor of love, patience of hope. And it was all in our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. You can visit Thessalonica today. Only the travel guide will call it Thessaloniki. It used to be known as Salonika, and it is an important industrial and commercial city in modern Greece and is second to Athens in population. The population of Thessalonica, Thessaloniki actually, is 870,000 people. So only Athens is bigger than uh, Thessalonica or Thessaloniki. Um, it was, in World War II, it was, I'm sorry, let me, let me back up just a bit. In modern Greece, and in, in the second to Athens in population, it served as an important allied base 
during World War I, and then World War II, it was captured by the German army, and the Jewish population of about 60,000 persons were deported and exterminated from Thessaloniki. It is an ancient city originally named, uh, let's see, Therma, from the many, because of the many hot springs adjacent to it. In 315 BC, it was renamed Thessalonica after the half-sister of Alexander the Great. When Rome conquered Macedonia in 168 BC, of course that's after Alexander the Great's time, the city was made capital of that entire province. In Paul's day, 200,000 people lived there, most of them Greeks, but also many Romans and a strong Jewish minority. All right, so today, as I already said, today has a population of about 870,000 people and is one of the few cities that has survived from the New Testament era of apostolic ministry. What it means by that is some of the cities, for example, the seven churches, you know, Laodicea, Smyrna, Therm, uh, Thyatira, those places, a lot of those don't exist anymore or they've been, they were moved to a different region, renamed. But this is actually one of the original places. In fact, there is a popular cruise, uh, there's a Greece cruise you can do where you actually get to go to a lot of the places that the Apostle Paul actually stood and preached. Imagine what that would be like. That would be pretty neat. Now, I won't go into this a whole lot more, but if you want to learn more about this in your own study time, if you go to Acts chapter 17, that's where you'll see Luke giving you, Luke who wrote the book of Acts, Dr. Luke, as it says here in this particular context I'm reading, when Paul went to Macedonia in response to what's called famously the Macedonian call, Paul, Silas, Luke, and Timothy arrived first in Philippi, where they led Lydia and her household of Christ, and they established a church. And then, of course, it eventually leads to their journey into uh, Thessalonica, because it's about 100 miles from Philippi to Thessalonica. So history tells us that there was probably, even though 100 miles, that's nothing to us nowadays. I mean, that's, St. Louis is actually a little farther than 100 miles from Jefferson City. But back in those days, it, obviously, that's a long journey. But history does tell us there was probably some fellowship between the Church of Philippi and the Church of Thessalonica. And it's interesting because if you study the epistles, um, when you look at the seven churches in Revelation chapter 1 and 2, I'm sorry, chapter 2 and 3, uh, you see five churches get encouraged and five churches get rebuked. You see one church get, all get encouragement, no rebuke, and then you get one church that's all rebuke and no encouragement. And, of course, Philadelphia was the city that had all encouragement, no rebuke, and Laodicea was famous for, they, boy, they, they had a lot of issues, right? But, of course, the Lord did give them a chance to repent. Praise the Lord for that. Now, I say that because First and Second Thessalonians and Philippians don't have a whole lot of rebuke in those three, those three books because these, these people were special people. They were really fired up. They, they had been converted from the worship of Greek gods. So... But here's what here's what here's one of the reasons why many people believe that the Thessalonians received a lot of encouragement about the rapture is because they may have been one of the most persecuted Christians at that time. Now, and when we say one of the most, they'll never touch the Roman Christians. The Roman Christians is is, is insane. If you study and know much about Rome, and uh, it's amazing. In fact, it's something interesting. If you look, if you study the epistles carefully, you will see that Paul oftentimes said to the church at Philippi, the, the church at Corinth. But in Rome, he says to the saints at Rome. Because some speculate there's ever really an official church in Rome because Nero, when Nero was in charge, he only reigned, he only ruled and reigned for about 14 or 15 years. But when he did, it was horrible, horrible. The Christians suffered like, like nobody. Of course, Nero was the emperor. He stayed at Rome. Jesus never had to deal with Nero or any of that kind of leadership because he dealt with the kings. 
of Roman provinces, and of course Rome had control of Israel at the time, but the emperor stayed in Rome. So the Christians at Rome is unbelievable. They would light them. They would, think about this. It, it's kind of hard to complain as a Christian in 2024 when you hear stories like this. They would grab a Christian man, pour oil on his body, light him, and then put him up on a torch, and they, they would lighten the city for that night. Could you imagine that? They would take Christians, men and women and children, and put them out in, in an arena like this, and then release hungry lions and tigers who haven't eaten in two weeks, and they would devour these Christians, right? So, boy, there's been a lot of bloodshed so that we could have the gospel tonight. We, we, we should be very thankful. Jesus gets all the credit and glory. We all know that. But, boy, there's been some great martyrs down through the ages that, that really I appreciate and I'm so thankful for. Well, Thessalonica experienced persecution. The Christians there, the church in Thessalonica had some persecution. Much of the Christian world in that day had persecution. And may I remind you that when, you re when it really comes down to it, outside the United States of America, there's persecution almost all over this world. There's some that say the persecution may be the worst that's ever been in the history of mankind because of the strong, and people don't want to say it, because of the strong growth of Islam. They're slaughtering Christians by the droves. In Nigeria... Nigeria just became ranked the number one. It passed North Korea. North Korea is number two. The number one country you do not want to be in right now if you're a born-again Christian. Because they're just killing you by the droves now. It's because of the Islam influx into that region. Um, and so it always boggles my mind when, when these so-called liberals in politics in America feel, say they're more threatened by Christians than they are a lot of other religions. We don't run around slaughtering people. I mean, we, we, we want to preach the gospel to people, all right? Well, you're, you're going to try to convert us. You're going to try to, uh, you know, proselytize. Yes, because we have the truth and it set us free. And we want you to know the truth, right? And so Paul's going to encourage the church of Thessalonica. And he talks about Paul, Silvanus, and Timotheus, which means there was a good likelihood that all three of them been there, had come there or they had actually gone there on more than one occasion. Maybe Timothy went by himself one time, Silvanus. But they were very familiar with that. So when they got that epistle, it was an encouragement to them to know that the three names were on this. It's like, these are our brothers rooting for us and encouraging us. So Paul talks about being thankful for them, okay? So this is a little bit of an introduction. Let me tell you why they were so unique. They had a really good balance as Christians. Um, and, and some of the things I read and studied, how, right? They didn't have a Bible like we have. They didn't have First Thessalonians like we have, right? They got this epistle. They didn't just go to the Kinko's or, or Staples down the road, make copies, and pass it out to all the Christians that were in the church that day, right? They didn't do that. They couldn't do that. So they would read it in public forms. Hey, Paul, got, Paul wrote us a letter, and it's so funny to think about it. Probably even at the time, you didn't realize that that was actually going to become the Bible or the Word of God, that they would read these letters and say, hey, come in here. Paul wrote us a letter, and they would gather, and he would read these letters to them and encourage them and get them fired up. But one thing they did have was faith in Christ and leadership of the Holy Spirit. And that's amazing. They just completely yielded to the Holy Spirit. And that's why I love what Paul says in verse 3, and this is where we're going we're gonna to kind of start, and it won't be much longer. Look at verse 3. Remembering without ceasing your, watch this, work of faith. What a statement. Then it says, and labor of love and patience of hope. All right, in, in what's that, three, six, nine words, ten, in less than ten words, you could almost sum up a balanced Christian and what we're supposed to do in those nine words right there. The work of faith, labor of love, and patience and hope. Isn't that a blessing? That balance there, okay? 
there was a work of faith. All right, what does that mean? All right, I'm glad you asked. The work, the work was an evidence of faith, okay? A work of faith, a work of faith, biblically speaking. So you, it's a broad statement. How do you explain that? How do you detail that? How do you diagram that? It simply is this. A biblical Christian work of faith was, was the evidence of their faith was to always put others over themselves. Others, others, others. That's the key. When Even in this society, in Grecian society, Roman society, everybody looked out for number one, just like America nowadays. Look out for number one, man. It's all about me. I'm looking out for myself, me, myself, and I, right? But in this particular time, they were once again following the Savior who died for them and lived again for them. They were going to be disruptors in Grecian culture. They were going to show the world that we are going to do a work of our faith, and this faith is the faith in Jesus Christ, which means we're going to put you above ourselves. It shocked the world on that day, because that's not normal. That's not the way you're supposed to behave. It's the whole, if a man asks you to walk with him two miles, or two miles, or one mile, go ahead and walk the extra mile with him. You know, if he asks you for your coat, give him your cloak too. You know, that, that, that just going the extra mile, right? And I've read this quote before, and I think it should be so true. When it even comes to genuine Christianity, a lot of times, that second mile, a lot of times, is pretty lonely. It's not as populated as the first mile. A lot of Christians are willing to do that which is their duty to do, and I'm thankful for that, and we all should be thankful for that. But Paul is saying here, you have a testimony that is reaching across the, the, the land that it's a work of faith, and this work of faith is evidence of you reminding people of Jesus because you put somebody else over yourself. Now, why would you do that, right? If that's a work of faith, why would you do that? Aha, the second statement gives you the beautiful picture of the balance. Labor of love. Labor of love. When I think of the most sacrificial person in society today, in my own home, you think of a mom. I think of my wife. Once again, I got to admire her for our 27th Christmas together and our 24th or 5th one with a kid in the house, right? She just does so many things, right? And it's all a, her work of faith, her labor of love, from decorations to cooking to baking to wrapping up the presents and making everything look so beautiful. Why, why would a woman do that, right? And then I look at my sister right now who's got an eight-month-old baby. Thank God those days are over. You know, when they wake up in the middle of the night and they scream and they cry and all that stuff. Y'all don't have kids yet, right? Yeah, yeah, that day's come. God bless you. God bless you. Let me encourage you with a Bible verse that always encouraged me. And it came to pass. Amen. Those screaming long nights will eventually come to pass. But I, I, we cherished every moment, but it's probably her more than I did. But anyway, um, but when you think about it, she's, she gets up in the middle of the night, and she's, why? Because the, the love a mother has for their child. Well, Paul is saying this. You have this work of faith, which is, is showing everybody, that puts, that you're putting them on. Well, what are they getting out of it? Why are you doing Well, when you love somebody unconditionally, you're not looking for some personal gain. You're not looking to get paid for it or rewarded for it. So Paul calls the testimony of a labor of love. Not a labor worthy of wages, not a labor worthy of hire, not a labor worthy of, 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 of the finer things of life. A labor of love, which means they're saying, I'm doing this because I love somebody else. I love somebody that can't give me love in return or won't give me love in return. I love somebody else because I, I'm doing this because of love. So even if they appreciate or don't appreciate it, I'm not going to measure whether or not I'm going to do it next time for them because of their response. I'm doing this because of love. Love is the governing spirit of my labor, and because of that, it became evidence, and that's why it's called a work of faith. Now, when you are doing those things, it can get discouraging at times as a Christian. 
Because not everybody appreciates what Christians do. And sometimes you tread into that area of persecution. And it gets ugly sometimes. And people can be mean and cruel to Christians. It's the society we live even today now. Being a Christian, being a strong, solid Christian is not really kosher with today's media, right? I think persecution can come in different waves and different uh, strategies. And Satan has different ways that he works on people. I feel like America's, America's attack is maybe complacency and apathy. Mm. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when a church gets attacked, you rally and you come together. Compl- Boy, it got quiet there. Complacency and apathy. Be careful. Be careful, church. Uh, well, how do I come back? Complacency and apathy. Work of faith, labor of love. 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 But I'm weary now. I'm getting attacked. I'm getting criticized. Okay. Now you have patience of hope. A patience of hope. Now remember, this is very important. I'm done. <clears throat> when we read hope today, so many times our first reaction, our response to hope is the, is the watered down 2023 definition of hope. We have defined hope as something that we wish could happen, like a wish. Disney has taught us that, right? Uh, Well, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. I hope it's not negative three degrees on Sunday. I'm not sure they're calling for snow anymore now, but boy, it's going to be cold this Sunday. Can I get a witness? Who's thankful for heat this time of year, right? I mean, heat in your car, heat in your house, hot water in the shower, and thick coats, right? And it's cold. Those of you that have construction outside, bless you, man. It is cold this time of year, right? It's cold, right? But that's not the hope it's talking about. You see, as Christians, we already have, look, look, let me say this. I don't have to say, I hope I'm going to heaven. This is what I say. Heaven is my hope. I don't have to say, I hope I've been saved. I can say salvation is my hope. I don't have to say, I hope the rapture is going to happen someday. I can say the rapture is my hope. And it just seems like a lot of times when Christians are in desperation and they do go through these struggles, they will begin to plead for the rapture more. I feel like I hear Christians talking more about the rapture now than they have in a while. Maybe it's because America's really going downhill. Maybe it's because the economy is not what it, what it was a few years ago. Maybe it's because there's just a, a, a spirit of discouragement across the country, right? Well, listen, Christian, you don't have to quit your work of faith and labor of love because you can continue to have patience and hope. Patience and hope. And it's not something that you're, uh, man, I just pray it works out. No, no, this is an expectancy of hope. You can expect it. If God gave you something, hope is an attribute of God. Faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Hope made it under the podium, if you will. That's pretty powerful truth when you think about it. Grace and mercy didn't even get up there. And boy, it seems like Christians today really, really went way heavily on grace. And I thank God for grace. Grace is a beautiful attribute. But hope, don't forget about hope. And Paul says to this church at Thessalonica, I want you to know that we're proud of you. We're thankful for you. We're praying for you without ceasing. We, we thank God. We give thanks to God always for you. And here's why. Because of your work of faith, you put others first. Your labor of love, there's your reason. And even when it gets tough at times, you have patience and hope. And because of that, patience of hope, because of that, man, you're doing good. Amen that. Amen that. So for the next few many Wednesday nights, we'll be studying First Thessalonians. Right? Let's go ahead and bow our heads and close our eyes. Thank you so much for listening so well this evening. If 
I were you, I would have given up on me by now. I would have labeled me a lost cause, cause I feel just like a lost cause. If I were you, I would have turned around and walked away. I would have labeled me beyond repair, cause I feel like I'm beyond repair. Oh, but somehow you don't see me like I do. Somehow you're still here. You're the God who stays. You're the God who stays. You're the one who runs in my direction. When the whole world walks away, you're the God who stands with wide open arms. And you tell me nothing I have ever done can separate my heart from the God who stays. I used to hide every time I thought I let you down. I always thought I had to earn my way. But I'm learning you don't work that way. Cause somehow you don't see me like I do Somehow you're still here You're the God who stays You're the God who stays You're the one who runs in my direction When the whole world walks away You're the God who stands With wide open arms and you tell me nothing I have ever done can separate my heart from the God who stays. My shame can't separate, my guilt can't separate, my past can't separate, I'm yours forever, my sin can't separate my scars can't separate my failures can't separate i'm yours forever no enemy can separate no power of hell can take away your love for me will never change i'm yours forever because you're the god who stays you're the God who stays. You're the one who runs in my direction. When the whole world walks away, you're the God who stands with wide open arms. And you tell me nothing I have ever done can separate my heart from the God who stays. And you tell me nothing I have ever done can separate my heart from the God who stays.